Across the last three years, Century has been on a mission to fundamentally transform the model of care for our clients, our staff, and the industry. We will share with you our journey towards ascent-based care, the lessons we've learned, and the people we've learned them with. We're your hosts, Timothy Yeager and Hillary Laney. Welcome to the HRE Podcast. Welcome to the HRE Podcast. Yeah, I honestly... Couldn't think of the like a better first guest than you. Thank you. Agreed. Um, I just want to reminisce before we jump into this. Okay, let's do it. We talk about this all the time, actually. Timothy yeah. and I do. We talk about you all the time. So your CLR interview, like to me, is like a moment where I never met you, right? Um, and. I'm really proud of the work that we're doing and the, all this rollout and mentorship. And uh, and I know that we're having an impact, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was like, your interview was like a mic drop moment in history for me, right? Where oh, like, like, not only do we have incredible people working for us that, that I was able to like meet you, yeah, but then to see like the impact that like our mentorship has had on and you and like it was just like I don't know it was a really affirming moment for me and the work that we're doing and so I don't know I'm just really excited that you're here. I have to be honest, I don't remember anything in my interview. <laughs> that entire day was such a disaster of a day. Like my car was blocked in. I think we got snow that day or something. Like it was a disaster of a day. So by the time I came to the interview, where I'm normally nervous, yeah. I was like, oh, "This is gonna be what it is." <laughs> like, we both, you left, and we both were just like, "Wow!" Like what just happened? What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> it was so cool. Because generally, what happens for me is when people are in mentorship with my team, I hear all kinds of positive things about people, right? Mm -hmm. And Cindy had been saying like, "Oh, Ashley, this and Ashley that," but I had never interacted with you. And so I had been like, cool, great. This person's doing awesome. And then we interviewed her. I'm like, Cindy, you held back. Like who, what? How is this the first time I'm meeting her? It was joyful. Like the interview itself, I was like, wow, that, that could be my HRE. I could sit. That's why you're the perfect first interview. Cause I could just sit and talk with you forever. I appreciate you guys not telling me. I take it back. I know before we started this, I was saying that like I was scared to be the first interview. I'm now happy. <laughs> Honestly, because of this. Because I'm getting all this fabulous praise right now. You're wonderful. I will say, go ahead. Oh. I will say the mentorship too has changed everything for me. Like not even professionally, but like my thinking. I don't know how I'm gonna how does, I'm saying that right, but like just my thinking moving forward as a clinician too. Mm. Like I'm never going to see things from the same perspective as I did even three to five months ago. Wild, right? Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately the goal is like yeah. developing a problem solving skill set. Yeah. And questioning everything. And like I've been training my technicians and the clinicians I'm working with to also be questioning everything. Mm. Like just because I'm the clinician on this case does not mean I know everything. Right. Yeah. I have to be asking questions. I have to be making sure that like they're asking questions and that they're just as engaged as I am. Your lens changes, right? Because now instead of thinking about, oh, I have to solve this problem. Oh, I have to solve this problem. Oh, I have to solve this problem. You're thinking what's happening for this client right now. Mm -hmm. And if I don't understand what's happening for this client right now, nothing else matters. Yeah. And so it really changes what you're analyzing in terms of like, oh, they're having this behavior. Let me solve that problem versus like what's happening in the environment. What is happening with this situation? What is happening like globally for them? And you take that much, it's a much different view 
on how to analyze what's occurring with a client. Yeah. Where, like my previous company, it was very much like black and white. This is how it is. This is how we're moving forward. Like looking at things in that minute, in that second, when nothing's ever in that second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even like a client that I was with the other day, like the things they're bringing in, maybe they didn't sleep well. That needs to be honored. And we're going to need to adjust things that day yep. to honor the fact that they're exhausted. And hey, when you're exhausted, nobody wants to do anything. Yeah. Right. One of the like aha moments for me, and I think that aligns what you're talking about is this idea that we acquiesce in moments, right? So if a, if, if a child's not having it and they're doing something that like, um, you know, is dangerous. It's just indicating to us that they're not assenting to care. Mm -hmm. The ability to acquiesce, the freedom to acquiesce in that moment, to know that like that's not the moment to solve an issue, right? Mm -hmm. That's the moment to like, let's be safe, let's honor their voice, and then let's start to do the analysis that's yeah. needed. Yep. I can remember so many times as a, as a BCBA in a, like, in a hot home, right? Like in providing home services, not necessarily all the most comfortable, and a client's doing something that like they, we don't want them to be doing. And I'm like sweaty, stressed, figuring out like, yes. how do I fix this thing right, right now? now? Mm -hmm. That's not the right time. <laughs> no. Right? For anybody. Even with parents, like it, parents are stressed. One of the go-tos, especially for parents that have a lot of significant trauma in their own lives, is to yell and scream. I know the history. I, come, I have a lot of personal trauma in my own life. And my parents, their go-to was to yell, scream. The things that you don't want to see happening yeah. was what was happening. And in the moment where that parent is yelling at that kid because something happened, that's not the time to teach. Right. And maybe you want that time you want to teach, but the time to teach is when things are calm yeah. and safe again. And safe again. Like in that moment, you're just managing. Yeah. You're just helping them reach back to the HRE. Yeah. So speaking of HRE, yeah. um, what's yours? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I knew you were gonna ask this question. I did. I was like, they're gonna ask this. So I have multiple. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you my current one that was last night. Okay. My dogs were chill for once in their lives, and my husband was, I think, in a different room or something. And I was texting with my best friend about this new reality TV show that came out called 90 Day Fiance Last Resort. <laughs> and it was I'm aware of that so one. good. It was so good. So that was probably my HRE. Mm. So I just want to watch the whole season now. Got it. Yeah. So trash TV. Trash TV. And chill like dogs. Chill dogs in a conversation with your, with your friends. Yes. Sometimes otherwise, the other one is like a fancy, not even fancy, like a restaurant with foods that I haven't tried before. Mm -hmm. And... Just adventure in general. Yeah. That's similar to Hillary's. Yes. Yeah. Food. <laughs> um, there's a new sticker. Food is my HRE. Uh, oh, it's perfect. I did grab that one. I got it too. So let's talk about impact. Yeah. Um, we started down this journey of Foundations of Care, not uh, for like any philosophical research perspective, but like we just wanted to make a difference. Yeah. Um, I think naively for me, I started with the lens. I, I think it's not maybe not naive, but like part of our values is being client centered, right? I, I thought about like the impact on the client, but I want to talk about like impact on like you and your skill set, mm -hmm. um, and like what has this mentorship, the ability, learning about a practical functional assessment, learning about skills based treatment, learning about our universal protocol, like how has that like impacted you and your like ability to be a, a BCBA? So before I started at Centria, I had done a traditional FA. 
that was, and it took a total of three months to be able to get even somewhat of good information from it. Wow. Um, and that was right at the beginning of my career. So I was like, okay, this is the way it is. And I didn't feel comfortable with that. Like it didn't sit right with me, but that was the company policy. That was kind of how things went. So coming here and seeing a framework where you're given the resources and the mentorship to make this happen. And you're not also not expected to have all the answers. You're allowed to, I don't want to say you're allowed to make mistakes, but you're allowed to ask questions and it's not like, Hey, you have to know everything. Mm-hmm. Nobody has the answers to everything ever. Yep. So being allowed to ask questions and then grow in your skill set is just a really, it's a really cool opportunity. Also, I want to give a shout out to you two because you two are consistently getting me outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> this is, as I've told you guys, is I don't like group praise. I don't like being the center of attention. I don't like any yeah. of those things. And you guys asking like, hey, do this, do that. And being open to coming in and being uncomfortable also is just empowering as well. People need to hear your voice. I've told you this before. Yes, you I have am. so much that you can give people just by sharing your experiences and your knowledge. And I think that's true for anybody. It's true. But, but you haven't been. I, and that's true. <laughs> that's true, though. That is true. But, like, also when people come in, you sometimes just want to get a paycheck. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, you just want to not get fired. Yeah. And in a lot of companies and a lot of things, that's really the end goal is just not to get fired and not to ruffle feathers. You guys are allowing opportunities to ruffle feathers in a way that I haven't experienced mm. before in my professional life. I am a professional at ruffling feathers. Have you always been? <laughs> yes, I just haven't been all that skilled at it for a long time. <laughs> Still growing. Yeah. Um, I think what you're describing, though, is someone, I, Hillary and I have been wrestling through, the, I've been wrestling through this, this idea of like, what is the analogous to like SBT? Yeah, for with staff. Like, we're staff, right? Uh-huh. And, and I would hope that what you're kind of describing is maybe we built some trust and, and rapport yeah. mm-hmm. that we start from, and then we allow you to, and that similar approach to SBT, mm-hmm. like stretch build skills and build and skills. And then we challenge them. And everybody should be challenged. No, but the people who are BCBAs and think they have all the answers – that's the point where hot take, I would say it's time for you to be done. Like mm. you need to just leave. Like if you think all you have all the answers, you don't. One of the conversations we've been having for the last two days is about this like perfect mixture between arrogance and humility. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to that of like, you do need to have a level of I, arrogance might not be the right word, but confidence and willingness to like lean in and try things and do things. But I would say arrogance is that step above right. where, where you're like not you're willing over, to try over everybody. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But humility. And that's the one area that we feel very strong about that. Like, how do you teach? That we need skill, more humility. I don't know. How do you teach that skill? Um, I think we're still learning how to teach that skill because I don't know, from my perspective, we've tried a couple of interventions with folks and some have been successful, but it, it, I think it also depends on the person. I think to teach anything though, you have to have rapport with people Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to build that rapport with someone who doesn't want to hear what you have to say or doesn't respect what you have to say. And sometimes I'm going to go back to my interview just for a hot second is I have this analogy that I use often throughout my life where you have to find something that you can begin with. And for one person that was just a challenging person to work with, it was a diet Coke. 
at the time I drink Diet Coke. I can't anymore because my migraines, but I used to drink Diet Coke. They drink Diet Coke. We would just talk about Diet Coke. Foot in the door. I think sometimes, though, the Diet Coke isn't enough. Mm. And that's where the analogy kind of changed. And sometimes people need the consequences to be able to reach that humility. Yeah. And that's hard. It is. That's hard. So here's hard. here's how I always say I, I, I'm not often described the most humble person, but like I think that like uh, how I was put in the situation, which was in my graduate program, mm -hmm. we had very clear definitions of what like client outcomes were okay, and how we were measured on a week to week basis. Um, and every week I saw that I was not making the right decisions because my clients were not improving, mm -hmm. right? Every week I was faced with consequences um, that like I had to make better decisions. Yeah. My clients need to do better. And it was a function of me. And then I could see that when I did make good decisions and changes and like provide the right level of feedback to my technicians, my clients improved. Yeah. Right. And so I think in large part, one of the goals that I have is that like, as we continue to evolve as an organization and get some of the more of these clinical metrics that we, that we want to drive and hold clinicians accountable to that they're going to come in contact with. I'm either doing good or I'm not doing good. And it's not a subjective yeah. feeling anymore mm -hmm. or like a story you can tell yourself or in like an arrogant, like persona you can like give off. Right. And then we're going to find out whose values align. Yeah. Yeah. And client progress has to be a conditioned reinforcer for sure. Right. Because you were responsive to that change. That is not necessarily the skill set yeah. of many of the people in the field right now, besides here just because of how new they are and that hasn't been a part of their training. And so seeing the changes either in front of their eyes or on a graph and understanding how their decision impacted that isn't a condition reinforcer for a lot of people. And we that's part of what we're trying to achieve, right, is to have leadership that conditions those things as yeah. reinforcers. And sometimes as a result of that, there's consequences. Yeah. Right? And if you think about it, we're a field that focuses on metrics. Yeah. Like a lot of those metrics usually at least the other companies I was working with, were billable metrics. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to naturally. Yeah. You're going to go to the thing that's actually going to be Get reinforced. reinforced, which money is a strong reinforcer. Yep. You're going to go towards those billable hours, those billable hours. But when you put the two together, it gives you that value way more than just focusing on those billable For hours. Sure. So, you know, we have gone through some changes here in terms of billable hours. Yeah. And in your role particularly, there's some changes. But with, um, you know, the model that we have and the foundations of care, how has uh, the foundations of care changed your supervision practices to be more effective? So I started off with foundations of care like a month after I started. Mm. So, like, I really never... What Didn't about previous have it to previously? Here. So previously it was I would show up. I'm gonna say my previous my previous company, I would show up to my supervision, I would kind of say hello to the technician, I would ask if they have any issues, and then do like probably two to three minutes. I would say sometimes more, sometimes less. Sometimes it'd be right away of just building that rapport with the client, the technician, seeing how things are, and then I was on my computer looking at data the entire time. I wasn't and then a few programs here and there that I saw weren't going well, and then that was it. There wasn't really and then, of course, coaching the technicians. But there wasn't the piece where I was looking at that rapport as much between the technician and the client. I just mm. wanted to see, hey, is programming going well? Hey, it wasn't, hey, I see that right now you're on your phone. It was like, okay, they're on their phone. I would t 
talk about it with them, but like it wasn't as much as, hey, right now you need to be, if the client is coloring, you should be coloring alongside with them, even if they don't want to talk to you. And I will say now that is a major focus of each supervision session is just making sure that that rapport with the technician is growing in that the client is showing improvements themselves and checking in with the stakeholders that are related to that client Mm -hmm. and making sure the technician also knows the impact they're making. Because I feel like oftentimes, um, especially with my clients that are full-time SB team, they will say, I feel like I'm doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm. I feel like I'm doing nothing. I'm like, you're not doing nothing. You are helping them reach their HRE to build the skills that are long-term. So making sure I'm checking in with the technicians so that they're getting yeah. that feedback and that positivity as well. Is there a client story that like, when you think about, look back through this, through this process that like really impacts you? Yeah, so I have many and none are popping. I'm gonna actually share about my um, recent client. So I have had a client who's had services for about three years. I took the case over about six-ish months ago. We're going to say that's the timeline. My timelines are never great. Yeah. Um, and when I started on the case, she was throwing upwards of about 100 times a day. Just mm. any items in her vicinity. She didn't really have a ton of functional communication. Um, we started SBT about a month when I started into the case. And her recent throwing has gone down to about five to eight. And even then, um, we have having a lot of days where it's zero. Like awesome. if she and she, her communication has also grown as well. Um, we're using PECs and an AAC device. So she's been able to communicate her wants and her needs as well. And she currently is beginning to transition out of a high chair into a regular typing chair. Mm-hmm. And we're beginning to able to work on toileting as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. And she's interactively playing with her peers and, uh, well, her siblings. She's interactively playing with her siblings. She loves to play tag. So she'll go off to them and tap them and then run away. It's so exciting. It's great. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about your CLR role. Yes. Clinical leadership resident, right? Mm -hmm. So for those listening, as an organization committed to, like, mentoring and rolling out um, our foundations of care, um, we identified or Hillier identified that like, we need a lot more people to do it. And so we hired 16. I, yeah, I think 16, 16 or 18. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Clinical leadership residents um, who were clinicians who were mentored, met competencies. Um, and, and you were able to have a, you know, a smaller caseload while mentoring clinicians. Yeah. I was hoping maybe you could just talk about like, that experience from like going to like a case supervisor to a coach of your peers. So I previously, when I was a special ed teacher, spent a lot of my time doing coaching. So coming in from the school setting to the clinical setting where a lot of the people that I am coaching have been BCBAs or working in the ABA therapy longer than me. Mm. So really just coming in and the first thing I've had to do is just build a rapport with them and let them know like, kind of where, like, hey, this is the trajectory things are going in. And I feel like oftentimes I'm having, this is not a bad thing. This is, hold on, my brain's getting, is making the words, it's making the words work. <laughs> it's uh, having, building, being a resource to them and being like, hey, you can do this. A lot of times they have 
been scared. They're going to fail. They're going to pass. They're going to get fired. I've heard that one a lot too. Mm. Like you're going to fail. Men- I'm going to fail mentorship. I'm going to be fired. When they're really meeting all the guidelines <laughs> and the timeline. So sometimes it's just that and building the rapport from them. Mm. But the thing I've enjoyed the most is how much through mentorship I am learning from each of the clinicians that I'm grow- mm. that I'm working with. Like I'm learning from them just as much as I am teaching them these skills of foundational care. And those conversations I'm having with them is so powerful because um, a great conversation I've had recently is just around edibles. And edibles have been the go-to for many of the clinicians I'm working with because it was what they were taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they weren't really shown any And it works from their perspective. Exactly. It works. And it's having those conversations <clears throat> of, okay, how are we going to fade this out? How can we fade this to something that's more naturalistic? Because we don't want to see... I had a client who was in her 20s who had been an ABA most of her life, and her only really leisure skills and reinforcers were edibles, likely because of ABA therapy. For those listening that are not aware, we are talking about candy and items. We're not talking about THC infused (laughs) (laughs) gummies. I mean, yeah, I mean, those can be reinforcing too. (laughs) But yes, we were talking about like M&Ms or another one. Yes. Marshmallows and Skittles. Skittles. Goldfish crackers. Goldfish crackers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be fair, though, the goldfish pretzels, <laughs> those are so good. If somebody wanted Food to pay is me, a reinforcer. It is, but it shouldn't How be the only thing yeah. that's in their yeah. repertoire. We should be building their repertoire to be more than just edibles. So having these conversations around the M&Ms, be like, hey, right now we're doing DTT tasks and you are getting an M&M for each one. How can we fade this out? So then just coming to work at a table for five minutes is reinforcing. Yeah. Because that's much more natural in the real world yeah. than getting an M&M for every time you finish one task. And what starting, a bag of M&Ms. Yeah. Starting in a place, though, where like HRE being the focus. Yes. Right. And the the relationship uh-huh. Of the technician and the client, like being part of that, like context. Mm-hmm. You, know, you always have a potent reinforcer in that yeah. case. Synthesized yeah. reinforcement should be the most potent reinforcer. And it's yeah. teaching that skill yeah. to the clinicians in a way that where they feel, okay, I am helping in the technicians, anybody who's working with this child, yeah. I am teaching this child, I am helping this child reach their happy, relaxed, engaged state. And this may be the only opportunity they have, depending on their background, that they have to reach this throughout the day. Yep. But I'm giving them that that opportunity. Even on the tough days where you get no sleep, your mom may have screamed at you before you came in. Teaching them to improve that skill and gain those skills is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And it's something I didn't even think I realized. This is a little deep. Um... I don't even think I realized for myself, like how much even adults don't know their HRE at this age. Like, it's not something you talk about usually at work is like, what's your happy, relaxed, and engaged? It's usually like, okay, five o'clock, now I'm going to my happy, relaxed, and engaged. (laughs) Like how to intertwine that throughout your day and kind of pair like, okay, hey, the client really, I have clients who enjoy wrestling, WWE, (laughs) like with my clinicians and my husband's a huge wrestling fan so I've made myself understand wrestling yeah. like I can whatever John Cena's yeah. you can't see me but yeah. it yeah. is yeah <laughs> so like being able to be like oh hey I know a little bit about this I can bring this to the client and we can find this joy together right is very powerful it's more than Diet Coke it's more than Diet Coke yeah. it's even if you don't like let's say Bluey 
I don't know if you guys I know Bluey. I love Bluey. I have never watched Bluey. I don't have kids. You should watch I, it. It's a great show for I adults. I don't like cartoons Oh, either. I don't either, Hot but I take. love Bluey. Okay, but I never knew anything about it. But I had a client who enjoyed Bluey, so I did a quick Google search. I found something I enjoyed about it. I think the characters are really cute. Yeah, they are cute. Starting from there, teaching people how to start from even there to yeah. bring people joy is powerful. Yep. And important. So in your in your role as a CLR, mm -hmm. have there been any instances? Well, okay, let me start over. So from my perspective, this shift has been difficult. Like it mm -hmm. is not an easy thing to bring 4,000 people and 3,000 clients into a new way of thinking, a new perspective. And there have been challenges. There's also been a lot of joy and a lot of wonder, but it's not an easy task. And you've no. been a part of that. Yeah. Um, is how, So, you know, you're talking about all the wonderful, amazing parts of it, but have there been any, any components as a CLR that have been more challenging or any situations you've had to deal with that were and difficult? And how did you, like, what skills do you think you have? Or, like, how did you solve those barriers? So I've had a lot of pushback on just the overall foundations of it often. Like, they're not bought in. They think this is just something that we're going to do and then get rid of. Like, they don't have to do these things. Um, I've gotten a lot of pushback on that. I continue to get a lot of pushback on that. Mm. I feel like I have two flip sides of the coin. I have some who are like, yes, this is amazing. The other side of the coin is, okay, we're just doing this because we have to. The people um, up top told us we're going to do it. We're doing it. Yes. yes. They'll forget about it in six months. Yes. yes. Like yeah. the amount of people who still even think this is disappearing in six months mm. when I feel very confidently it's not. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not That's at good. all. I feel confident too. Um, where what was the question? What was the question? Challenge. Challenges. So it's really been just having those hard conversations. And it's for me personally – those hard conversations have become reinforcing mm. where I love having them. Like, oh, what's a good example? I don't have any specific examples offhand, but, oh, I did. I had a clinician recently who was just frustrated, came in. He was not being the kindest. And it was really, truly the skill I believe that I have. I'm, oh, this is, I'm praising myself now, guys. Look <laughs> at you guys making me all, all uncomfortable. I'm so proud of you. It was de-escalating. Sometimes mm. you yeah. are just de-escalating, so then you can get to the learning. Right. It you is, can't do the learning then. Yes. And then setting the expectations. Like having the hard conversations and setting the expectations to be like, you may believe this way, but this is what needs to be done. This is the expectation. It is not okay to not treat people with kindness. And you need to be kind. And the expectation is to be kind and to lead with kindness. And oh, what is your phrase? Clear is kind. Clear is kind. That's mine. your phrase. Bren, uh, Brene Kim, Brown? Nope. Kim no. Scott. Radical candor. Oh, this yeah. book's in my backpack, actually. It's a good one. Um, clear is kind. Like, being clear. Be, being clear. Like, hey, I see you're frustrated right now. How you're treating me is not okay. We can work through this. We are going to get you there. These are the expectations. And setting those clear expectations. Do you feel like you had those skills coming into the role, or is it something you've had to build more skills around? Um, so in my personal life, I've always had that skill to be clear because I've had to to kind of survive. Um, in my professional life, like I kind of said previously, I just wanted to make sure I didn't ruffle any feathers. <laughs> yeah. Like I did not want to ruffle any feathers because – my prior history of I don't understand this feathers. at all when I look at you and like knowing you I just oh I get it yeah it's it's I uncomfortable it's, it is uncomfortable yeah and 
I just didn't want to get fired. <laughs> Truly, at the end of the day, I'm like, I need a paycheck. I got four feline animals to feed. <laughs> like, I have a husband. Like, I got a house. Like, I just want to make sure that I'm not ruffling yeah. any feathers. So coming into a place where, like, I'm kind of given the power. I don't want to say the power. The opportunity. The opportunity to be able to say, hey, this is a positive change that needs to happen. And you are going to meet this expectation. And ruffle some feathers. And ruffle some feathers. And know it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's a good thing. We're in an industry that needs to get ruffled. 100%. Yes. Why do you think it's okay now? Like, what has changed that makes it okay for you to ruffle feathers versus before? I, I've i never been one that's, like, a huge company person. But this, com- this statement is going to sound like that. I need to make that clear. <laughs> um, Centria kind of has done that. Mm. Like... Coming here and having this values-based approach where you are client-centered, knowing, going full circle on the client, that is giving that power. You've got back everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know if I say, hey, you do not need to have your hands on that client right now. You don't. I'm going to have the backup to people to say, you know what, you're right. Mm-hmm. You do not need to hold that oatmeal cream pie while they're having a tantrum when they're throwing it away from you. You don't need to do that. Mm. Having that power and that backup from everybody else to say, you know what, that's right. Or having those conversations is what helps that. Yeah. I think it helps that like, at least my experience has been that for being provided opportunities that are outside my comfort zone. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. Did we go through them all? No, we have a couple more. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're just stealing the stage. It's great. This is my worst nightmare. I'm still going to say it. I know <laughs> we have been doing this for a while. Still. You're doing awesome. Um, all right. So you, yeah. let's talk about this transition from going from, I just don't want to get fired. Yeah. <laughs> to where you are now. Yeah. On a podcast. And what yeah. you want to do future. Like, how has this like transition like just changed? Like your approach to the job and what you want from it? I want to be somebody who leads clinicians to, I don't think I've ever said this out loud before. <laughs> well, I want to be someone who leads clinicians to client-centered care. Mm. Oh. And even BCBAs I've been talking about uh, outside of Centria, I am making sure to have this conversation with them. And then the things that like, I know they've been doing. Like I've been there. Yep. We've all been there. Yeah. Having those conversations with them to say, hey, you can do better. And not being afraid to say, hey, you can do better and you need to do better. Mm-hmm. And you need to learn how to do better. And we know okay. how to. Yes. It's not an unknown anymore. Like, I think there's this trend right now in the field where you can just say this buzzword compassion and it means you're doing something right. And that's fine. But I think what's missing, I think, in the general um, discussion is the actual task analysis or, like, the actual skills. And, like, we know what those are now. And, and we've mm-hmm. shown it with our data here. And I think that's what's really cool about what you're saying, because like even people who aren't at Centria, you can give them those skills. You can talk to them about those skills. You can share your experiences that have actually led to those outcomes using compassionate practices rather than it just being a buzzword. Yeah. I think one of the things that was really powerful for me, for me was when I was at ABAI and people would come to the table and we had these little stickers that are like the HRE stickers. There was probably, I would say, out of 50 people that came to our table one day, 10 of them did not even know what HRE was. Mm-hmm. Like 
had no idea. They had shared with me they'd been in the field for like 10 plus years working with clients, had no idea what it was. The So there's like buzzword, <laughs> HRE, compassion, right? Um, compassion and care. What I, the definition of compassion that I really like, it's like empathy with action mm -hmm. that leads to outcomes, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's one thing to say you believe it. It's one thing to like, we've talked about this yesterday, talking about like, it's it's one thing for people to get credibility for talking yeah. about compassionate care and we're about this. It's another thing for us to say, we have over 400 PFAs that we've done and a compassionate yeah. approach to understanding like a, 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 a child with complex, you know, challenges. Can you guys talk about how the 400 plus that you've done, like say more about it because like, <laughs> it's so powerful. It's I did so cool. the 10 I did in the one day, my brain was ready to explode. Well, like <laughs> 10 of those end. of the 400 are yours. How many, well, no more than that. Probably like 15. It's your day. Like 10 to 15. Yeah. yeah. So that's like your 400 data. across the company when there's some companies that have done none. Yeah. Yeah. What's really remarkable about the over 400 is that it was implemented by over 300 people. Mm -hmm. It was coached by over 30 people. So initially it was just me coaching PFAs with a couple implementers. Then it was my four directors. Then it was six directors. And then it was 16 or 18, however many CLRs. And then also we have some RCDs who are coaching mm -hmm. PFAs. And so that data, the, the, like, the generalization of that data, I think is what I'm the most proud of is that I can't say 400 of those PFAs are mine. I think only like six of them are. They're not that many that I've coached personally that are yeah. on that sheet. Um, but the fidelity across however many implementers and however many coaches we have is so high. And we have fidelity data to back it up because we did fidelity with everyone. Mm -hmm. It's really, I think that's what's remarkable mm -hmm. is that not only did we do 400 P over 400 PFAs, we have an average of 20 minutes per PFA, which I'm- Not two months. Not right. two months, not three yeah. months. Yeah. Three months. Three months. Yeah. And even then, like the data was not. It's solid. not good. Yeah. Data. Yep. Yeah. So twenty minutes with a ninety-nine percent, well, ninety-six percent control, effective rate. So like we were able to reach control mm -hmm. for ninety-six of those, which I think is three hundred and ten PFAs, which is uh, sorry, four hundred and ten PFAs, which is mind blowing. And then we have as on top of that, those eight or nine that we didn't reach control in, only one of them was because it was dangerous behavior. The rest of them it was because the client cooperated unexpectedly. Yeah. That's like, the best outcome we could ask for in a PFA. And a majority of those, almost all of those, were safe. Like they were the safe. client they were was all safe, safe the entire time. 99.67%. Yeah. yeah. All but one. Safe. And like so like, I, the point is, is like, that's compassion. That yes. is compassion. Right. Yes. So it's yeah. not like I have a platform that I'm going to use and talk about it or I, I, I publish an article about it. Like we have data. Like we're, we're showing impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and I appreciate you saying that, Hillary. I haven't thought about that. Like, that should be a very, I'm sure it is, but I'm just going to say it's a very proud moment for you. Like, this, very. that's a very successful outcome for an initiative to where the majority of them are not done by you. It means that 30 other people at this organization right now could teach 30 other people. And I don't have to be a part of that anymore. Yeah. That's the goal is that, like, I mean, I don't know what my. I would like to say I'm going to be at Centria as long as Centria exists, but who knows, right? But regardless if I'm here or not, this work has to live on, and that's how you make it live on. You That capacity can't sit with me. Yeah. I can't be the only one who knows how to do these things. My mm -hmm. team can't be the only one who knows how to do these things. And so it's really spreading that knowledge and ensuring that it lives on, and it's like almost like a legacy to a certain extent. It is a legacy, period. 
I'm going to cr- give yourself credit. <laughs> okay. It's a legacy. <laughs> uh, the, what I, I think is more compassionate than all of those PFAs is what comes after them. For sure. Right. Like it is one thing for us to engage in an, anal- in an analysis, which I am very involved in the community of PFA and SPT. And I, I hear of people who do PFAs and do SPT and they may or may not be effective at their treatment. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they may not, might not even start treatment. Like I see people who do PFAs and then they just go back to the processes they had before. They don't utilize the component package to me, the more compassionate, like it is absolutely, yes, let's, let's do an analysis that's safe, that's dignified and that's effective and doesn't waste anyone's time and is resource efficient. But let's also use that and like, make sure we're making an impact from there. Yeah. Right. And I think that is even more compassionate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because you like, we have to bridge that gap for for clients who aren't able to get to those outcomes on their own, or because of the environments they're in. Like now, we actually get to impact those things and get them to the the goals and the dreams and the aspirations that they have. And I, in a and continued in a way that's compassionate and and kind and safe and dignified. And that's I think the most exciting part. PFAs are wonderful and amazing, but they're only twenty minutes. They're only twenty minutes of the story, right? They're twenty minutes of the story, and they're a very important twenty minutes. And it's so individualized each client. Yes. The whole process. That's another piece of compassion. Is it's individualized. What looks like PFA, a PFA and SVT for one client. Very one person is going to be very different than another. Yep. And compassion is a part of compassion is looking at things individually. Yeah. On a global scale, everybody comes to the table with different baggage. Context matters. Yes, very much so. Otherwise, we could just have a PFA room, right? With right. all the same materials, yeah. <laughs> day in and day out. Jobs <laughs> would be a lot. Nobody easier. would have to do an intake. They could just bring the clients in. Oh wait, people do this. They're called FAs. Oh yeah. yes, I was gonna say the three months I spent. That's what it was. It was very much. Yeah, it's a, a, a clinical room. There's no individualization. Yep. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, it's responsive, and I'm I think safe. that, and it, and I think the other part of this that I don't think is I I don't think this is talked about enough in the space of compassionate care, and I think it's a difficult transition for people. Is we are talking about client-centered care and the compassion towards our clients, but doing work like this is also compassionate towards our implementers, our technicians, our BCBAs, our families, and the people who are surrounding that client, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're also prioritizing their safety and their dignify- yeah. dignity. What I think is difficult about that is the paradigm shift people have to go through to understand, like to see that as part of the process for themselves because they're so stuck in what they thought they were supposed to do. I was just having a conversation actually earlier about this, about like just parents in this approach. Because a lot of parents come to the table, just like I said, with a lot of trauma, a lot of like background in their go-to is to punish. take away and punish. Control. And yeah. co- absolute control. Because that's what they were modeled when they were growing yeah. up too. And a lot of parent, I don't like calling it parent training, parent engagement is focused on, hey, you don't have to do this. You can, one of the things I've been talking to my parents about often lately is, hey, it's okay on a hard day to just lower that demand. Yeah. Like chores are an example of this. If you're giving chores and you that day, you all are just not feeling it and you're having a rough day, it is okay to say, we're not doing this today. We're just going to hang out. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it is okay for them to lower that demand and make their lives easier. Mm -hmm. And sometimes everybody needs that permission to make their lives a little easier. It's even okay to lower it after you've already given it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And to keep it that way for a while. 
Exactly. Like, it's how is it, so how has this impacted like parents and like in your parent engagement? So I have one parent that I've worked with for a long time now. So it was my first case when I started and it took us a long time to kind of build that rapport and get there. But her go-to used to be to scream, yell, take things away. We've all probably seen it before. Have we talked about this? Yes. We have. Yes. Okay. Um, that. Now she is responding with neutrality. Mm. And she is choosing most times to not take the electronics away and instead will just hit step away herself. Mm. And giving her the power to do that is very impactful. Yeah. I also have another parent who um, stated that she didn't realize she didn't have to punish her kid. Mm. Mm. Like she did not. She's a younger mom, single mom. She didn't realize that she didn't have to punish her kid mm. each time. That she. It's a cultural norm. Didn't. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And changing those cultural norms is extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and impactful. Thank you so much for this 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 conversation. This was so nice. I <laughs> quite enjoyed yeah, this. I told you. <laughs> you were all nervous. You did. I was. Uh, oh. I, uh, it's just like every time we talk and every yep. time we get the t- chance to connect with you, I'm just continually reminded uh, of our first time and how like more sure I am that like you're a leader that we need to give more I'm voice need you to. to like, I'm going to need that piece recorded specifically for <laughs> and me sent you. and sent to me to like read on my hard days. Yeah. Like that's, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know if you can say, t- say anything about this. Go ahead. What's next? Yeah. Oh my God. So what, what are you guys most excited about that's mm. happening next? I am the most excited about right now, currently. I don't think Timothy's going to believe me when I say this because I've been complaining about it a lot. <laughs> I'm most excited about BT training being launched so that our behavior technicians are also getting the foundations mm-hmm. of care from start. I think that the complete package, like I've been doing interviews for BT trainers the last week and it's just really clear to me the gaps that we have and gaps are okay as long as we learn from them. And so I try not to beat myself up too much about it, but knowing that BT training is coming and we're going to be doing in-person training for all of our new technicians that align to the foundation, that's aligned to the foundations of care to me is a more complete package for this. Mm-hmm. That's going to be so impactful to our clients and also to the expectations we're setting on our supervising yes. clinicians. Cause they're going to come in with that base knowledge too, and be able to question. There's nothing that makes me happier then when my technicians question me on something I'm saying Same. Mm. and having them having that background knowledge will allow them to do that questioning from it, the start. It deepens their understanding and it deepens your understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And that's coming really fast, like before the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm both excited and terrified of this organizational trans <laughs> like yeah. reorg that we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that are listed that aren't aware, we are shifting from, like an operations ran like field care field services like to, you typically see. Like you see across the, yeah. the industry to where now all of our supervising clinicians that are BCBAs are gonna be reporting into clinical directors whose sole responsibility is overseeing clinical quality and outcomes and the support and development and mentorship of clinicians. Mm-hmm. And those clinical directors are reporting into another BCBA that's an area clinical director who's solely responsible for developing clinical directors. Yeah who's reporting into a clinical VP, that's a BCBA, who's solely re- responsible for developing clinical direct, area clinical directors, and also reporting into me. And to know that we're gonna have, um, we've done a lot of work, and like just the conversation today around the foundations of care has been like, 
an incredible like initiative that we've done that's been really successful. But we've done it from the outside of the the field operations, okay. right? And we've been like on the sidelines, like trying to impact. Mm -hmm. And that's not a sustainable way to deliver like mm -hmm. like transformative care for a long period of time. And mm -hmm. so um, it's going to be a difficult journey through this transition. But uh, I'm really excited about that. Good. That would be yeah. my number two. Yeah. After BT training, yeah, I'm, that's going to be great. Having gone through this shift, like rolling out foundations of care and going through this shift. As a, I, I don't, the outsider is not the right term, but like on the sidelines, I think is the right, like as the, you know, the flag ref on the soccer field, not the actual ref who makes the calls and decides who gets the red cards or the green cards. Love the red cards and yellow cards. If we could bring them into every <laughs> thing that's done in human the world. For those of you that don't watch football, AKA soccer. soccer, red cards are when you're out of the game completely. Yellow cards are like your, your warning. warning. And I just want it to be used throughout everything. I love it. Like, like in a meeting. <laughs> Red card. Oh, my husband and I do that. I need to make that clear. Like when we're in the middle of something, I'll be like, red card. We're done. Mm -hmm. But you know, the flag refs have no power over those calls, right? Yeah. And they get to decide who who was out, who gets the ball on the sidelines, which is impactful. It's really impactful, but it can't. It doesn't necessarily determine the outcome of the game. Like they don't get to determine there's a penalty shot, right? right. Yep. And so I think that this transition that we're going to be going through, and we're already we're already going through, I am as excited about because we will be able to have that more direct impact and be so much more enmeshed in the wonderful parts of the field, but also the problems that we can help solve. Right. Yeah. And so like right now we're trying to solve them and we just don't have enough levers in all the right places to solve them. So I'm really excited to have the levers. So let's end this conversation with what, what are you most excited about next? I don't know. There's a lot that's just happening. <laughs> period. Like there's just a lot happening and I'm very excited for everything that's happening that's unknown right now. Mm. So that's yeah. That's it's a very great. broad thing, but it yeah. is that's there's a great. lot of unknown factors. I appreciate that. I do too. A lot of people that come to me are like very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with the unknown. <laughs> I if they would not say excited. <laughs> no. We uh, yeah, that's so. There's a lot of unknown factors awesome. that are happening and changing. It's awesome. Yeah, we're so glad you're with us on this journey. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for letting, having me be your first one. I guess at first <laughs> I was nervous, but I you this is awesome. really fun. You rocked it. You did great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. And that concludes another episode of the HRE podcast. Thanks for listening. If the HRE podcast is a part of your synthesized reinforcers, let us know what else would make the perfect reinforcement context for you in the comments below, and join us next time. 